continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're still in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 57 through 80. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and these guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. It's working out great. Next week, we're going to have Luke chapter 2, and we're right in the birth of Christ on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, and Someone asked me if I was going to teach the same message Christmas Eve as I am on, on Christmas Day. And I said, yes, it's going to be about the birth of Christ. So, <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80. The title of my message this morning is Come and Worship, Part 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us understanding, information, but also application in our lives. That as we leave this place this morning, we would be more in love with you, with hearts to serve you and share you with those around us like, like never before. We thank you for the grace you've given to us. We thank you for this facility that we have, Lord, where we can gather freely without fear of being interrupted, Lord, and or are thrown in jail, Lord, are arrested, we, we can open your word and we can learn of you and, and be blessed by the worship. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, would you especially touch their hearts, help them to see their need for you, and they return to you today and find salvation, find the hope that so many of us have this morning. Thank you for this time together. We committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over time, there has been in history some very unusual births. For example, on May 6, 2021, Associated Press announced the delivery of nine children born to Alima Sisi from Casablanca, Morocco. They call that nonads, you know, twins, triplets, nonads, nine of them. All of them survived. Five girls, four boys. I mean, that's like an instant baseball team, instant family, you know, just, just add water. <laughs> and then there have been children that have been born that are of unusual size. Uh, and I looked this up. The largest baby ever born was in 1879 to a woman named Anna Bates. Her baby weighed, get this, 23 pounds, 9 ounces, and was 28 inches long. Let me say that again, ladies. 23 pounds, 9 ounces, 28 inches long. That's three times the weight of the average baby as well as 10 inches longer than the average child. Now let me say this, a mom was 7 feet 11 inches tall, but that's beside the point. (laughs) See, the Bible has its own repertoire of unusual births. Isaac would be one of them, born to Sarah. The Bible talks about the deadness of Sarah's womb, that she was beyond her ability to conceive. But God promised her a son, even in her old age, through through natural means, not an immaculate conception, but from her husband Abraham came Isaac. Hannah, in spite of her inability to have children, gave birth to the prophet uh, Samuel. Unusual birth. Well, that brings us this morning to the birth of John the Baptist. Now, last week we looked at uh, Mary's song. We called it Come and Worship Our Study. And we looked at Mary's song called The Magnificent, which she sang after her elder cousin Elizabeth acknowledged her, the Savior in her womb. Today, we're Come and Worship Part 2 as we look at Zacharias' song called The Benedictus, which is Latin for Praise Be. 
See, Zacharias and Elizabeth was Elizabeth's husband. God would give to him, them in their golden years, this miracle baby known as John the Baptist. Zacharias' story is interesting. We know it began earlier in chapter 1. Zacharias was a priest. He'd been chosen to offer up the incense in the temple. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and an honor. And there was Zacharias. Uh, as he's in there, he experiences unexpected guest. The angel Gabriel shows up, scares the daylights out of him. When he finally calms down, the angel tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a miracle son in their old age. They were to name him John and that he would be like Elijah, a great prophet and the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, we know that Zechariah, he doubted the angel. And so what he said, and so the angel took away his voice. And so he had to stay speechless for the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Nine months, Elizabeth hadn't heard a word from her husband. Some of you ladies say it's been nine years I haven't heard from my husband. He just doesn't talk, but... Maybe it's the other way around. If I could have peace for just nine minutes from my husband talking all the time, it'd be great. But you see, all this was about to change for Zacharias, starting in verse 57. Now, as I said, I've divided this study up into the four points with the title, Come and Worship Part 2. And if you're taking notes, as we looked at last time, and in any good song, it begins with the inspiration of the song, for the song, rather. Then you have the intro. Then you have a verse and a chorus. And then you have the, the big ending. And that's our four points this morning, if you're a note taker. The inspiration, the intro, the verses and chorus, and then the ending. First, the inspiration. Any good songwriter uh, is inspired by something when they write a song. So, too, is uh, this is Zacharias' inspiration. Look at verse 57 through 63. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have have him called, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. So, we see God's blessing is resting upon Zacharias and Elizabeth. God sent them a baby boy, just as he promised, and they named him John, just as God had instructed. You know, when the Jews looked upon children, they looked upon them as a gift from God, and so should we, because they are. In fact, Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5 tells us that. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the woman is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. We have many families in our church that have quivers full of kids. Now, traditionally speaking, a baby boy would be named on the eighth day, the day they were circumcised, and they would be named after the father or someone else in the family. Some of your parents may remember, you know, how you thumb through the names in a, in a name book. You know, we're looking for names. Now they have it on the Internet. But you, you look for a name for a child. And maybe you wanted it to be something biblical. And you just thought Judas or Jezebel just probably wouldn't fit for your kid. and Wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe you had plans to name your kid after your mom or dad or grandpa or grandma. And, but in the same way, Elizabeth and Zacharias 
with them, all their relatives and neighbors, they were shocked when they said the name was going to be John. They didn't believe her. They said, no one among your relatives has that name. But notice in verse 63, they made signs to the father what he would have him called. Now, I find that kind of funny because Zacharias could hear, he just couldn't speak. I mean, think about that. I wonder what he's thinking as they're making their, their signs. He's going, I can hear you guys, all right? So he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. That settles it, end of discussion. His name will be John. Johnny, Johnny the Baptist. He didn't call him John the Baptist. He just called him John his son. Besides, I don't think John was a Baptist. I don't know what denomination he was. He was just... That is a joke. A bad one, but it's a joke. But A better nickname for John might be John the Baptizer. Uh, much like uh, the Apostle John, he kind of had a nickname as, as, as John the Revelator because he wrote, wrote the book of Revelation. But what a blessing John would be to his parents and really would be to the world. By the way, John's name means favor, the favor or grace of Yahweh or grace has been given. And really, God truly does give to each one of us His grace. He gives to us things we just don't deserve. Now keep in mind that for nine months again, Zacharias couldn't speak a word. Unbelief made him mute. But faith, faith enabled him to speak uh, and, and to praise God. And that's exactly what he does. Look now at verse 63 uh, through 66. John is born. Zacharias writes out his name will be John. And then we read, so they all marveled in verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. So we read in verse 64, after Zacharias wrote down the baby's name, it will be John that immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. May we learn this, this lesson that no matter what we go through in life, no matter how difficult it may be, praise should always flow from our lives. Praise unto our God. And then notice what happened after Zacharias' mouth was opened and praises started coming forth. Verse 65. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Make no mistake about it. As you speak praise uh, you know, from, the, from, the, from, uh, from the Word of God, as you praise the Lord in the very situations you are going through, no matter how tough, people are going to take notice. They're going to look at you and go, man, I know you're struggling in this area. I know you're having difficulties over there, but you're still praising God. You're still worshiping how can you do that? What's going on in your life? And they're going to be puzzled. They're going to want to know what's going on in your life. And you can share with them the Lord. See, the people here are wondering what kind of child this John would be. Now, they would find out down the road as John was born to prepare the people to meet the Messiah. Well, then in verse 67 we read, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Stop there for a moment. This is now Zacharias' inspiration for the song he's about to sing. It's all coming from the Holy Spirit. You know, we're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's, it is, inspiration means God breathed. 
It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means that what Zacharias was about to sing was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It all came from the Holy Spirit. Now, what I find interesting about this chapter is that, that, that there are many that were filled with or empowered by the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, verse, womb, verse, in his mother's womb, verse 15, in the room too. But, but uh, verse 35, it would be Mary filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 was Elizabeth. And now verse 67, it's Zacharias. And listen, any true work of God, no matter how small or how big, can only be accomplished by and through the Holy Spirit moving and working and empowering our lives. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So if you're lacking power in your life, in your walk, ask God to fill you to overflow you with the power of His Holy Spirit, to be that witness for Him, and He will give it to you. We have not because we ask not, the Bible says. See, it's out of this empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enabled Zacharias to speak forth these words prophetically. You see, prophecy is not only to be able to foretell coming events, but it's to give the mind of God in relation to the present and to the future. And we see both things going on here in his words. He begins by speaking forth words of praise to God. And then he paints this beautiful picture of what the coming of, of John, his calling is, and what Jesus Christ is coming to this earth to accomplish. Zechariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a, a song of celebration of the salvation of God. And so that brings us to our second point of, of praise, and that's the intro. Look now verse 68 and 69. It says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So the very first thing that Zacharias does in a song of praise is to bless the Lord God of Israel. Just, just, uh, just blessing the Lord. And that really should be our heart. Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3 tells us, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is the purpose of our worship. To bless the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to honor him, to lift up his name as we looked at last week. Now, I remember many years ago when I first got saved and, and we used to do worship way back then. And, and that was at, at Harvest Christian Fellowship in California. It was a big church. And, and oftentimes a worship leader, he would break us up into rounds and would start this side and this side and this side. Or he'll have the guys do a song and then the girls would do the echo and, and they would just lead in that way. And, and I remember an old praise song that, that just talked about blessing the Lord as you praise the Lord. And, and, and at one, you know, the guys would start, bless the Lord, and then the ladies would echo, bless the Lord. And the guys would sing, oh, my soul. The ladies would sing, oh, my soul. And then they would all sing, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And, and uh, how many remember that song? Anybody here at all? Some of you. First service, there was a few. Second service had quite a bit. And, and third, you're doing good. And, and then we'd go back to, you know... <laughs> The men would go, for he has done great things. And later would go, hallelujah, for he has done great things. Hallelujah, he has done great things. Bless his holy name. So I did this first and second service. Now it's your turn. We're going to try it. Okay. 
Men, we start, bless the Lord. Ladies, you, you follow with bless the Lord. Okay, ready? Bless the Lord. Men, oh my soul. Ladies. Everybody. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Let's try it again. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Here we go, guys. For He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Everybody, bless His holy name. I heard some harmony in there. You guys did good. That's awesome. But that's the way Zechariah begins a song. It's a song of praise. Bless the Lord, he says. Bless the Lord, God of Israel. For he has visited, he has redeemed his people, it says in verse 68. It's remarkable how faith enables one to speak of the things which are not as though they are. Zechariah says here, God has visited and redeemed his people. See, they were not yet redeemed. That is not actually, but he could speak forth those words in faith. He was certain that since the promise had been fulfilled in regard to the birth of his son, that the promise of redemption of Israel through the coming of Savior was just as certain. This word redeemed in verse 68 means to set free by paying a price. It, it can refer to the releasing of a prisoner or the liberating of a slave. Jesus Christ came to this earth to bring redemption, to set the captives free, to release those who are in the prison of guilt and shame because of their sin. And verse 69 tells us the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. You know, the horn is a, is a great weapon of, a, of an animal, and it's used in Scripture oftentimes to represent power and strength and victory. Salvation requires power. Jesus is the horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant of David. Jesus has the power to save and to heal and to forgive. That word salvation in verse 69 carries with it the meaning health and soundness. No matter where you are, no matter the condition of the captive, no matter how much sin you've committed or not committed, no matter anything you've done, the Redeemer brings soundness, spiritual soundness forgiveness to all those that would come to Him. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're delivered from Satan's power, moved into God's kingdom, redeemed, forgiven. Now that is a reason to praise and worship Him. And a great really intro into a song, praising God for what He has done. One more point, Zechariah says, Jesus will have the power to save. And then he says, He's from the house of His servant David. God had promised long before the Messiah was to come through David's line, and Mary was a daughter uh, from that generation from the house of David. So through this child that would be born would bring salvation. This brings us to our third point, the verses and, and chorus. Look at verse 70 through 73. Uh, again, Zechariah saying, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. 
the verse of a song really tells us what's going on in the song. And I want you to catch the last phrase from verse 70. It says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. So God planned for Jesus' arrival a long time ago. Well, how long ago? Well, verse 73 tells us Jesus' coming is in the fulfillment of the old sworn to Father Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham that he would make of him a great nation, a people of God, even though Abraham and Sarah at that time had no kids. So maybe God's plan of Jesus' arrival was at the time of Abraham. But verse 70 says it goes back further than that. Since the world began, Zechariah says. You see, as long as people have been sinning, we have needed a Savior. And that takes us all the way back to the very beginning, back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, who first brought sin into the world. I've used this funny illustration before, but I like it. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing God said was, don't. Don't what, Adam said? Don't eat of the forbidden fruit, God said. Forbidden fruit? We got forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we got forbidden fruit. No way. Yes way. Don't eat of that fruit, said God. Why? Because I'm your father and I said so. So God was wondering why he hadn't stopped after making elephants. A few minutes later, God saw his kids having an apple break and was angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit, the first parent asked? "Uh Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you? I don't know, Eve answered. She started it, Adam said. Did not, did so, did not, did so. Having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. Thus the pattern has been set and it has never been changed. But listen, that's biblical because the book of Romans tells us in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone has sinned. As long as people have been sinning, we've had a need for a Savior. And the promise of the Savior that Zacharias is singing about goes all the way back to the garden. Since the world began, he says. Now you recall back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, and God was telling them the result of their sin and what it would be, that he turned to the serpent and he made this promise in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The very first promise of the Messiah coming to take away the sins of the world. That's the very first mention of the gospel there in chapter 3, verse 15. We see the phrase there, her seed, which humanly speaking is an impossibility. The seed comes from the man unless the one who would come from the woman would come in a way that would be supernatural. And who would that one be? Of course, it would be Jesus, the promised seed. Christ would come, and we are told here that he would bruise or literally crush the head of the serpent. But the serpent would bruise the heel of the promised seed. And therein we see the picture of the cross, where Christ was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, where he cleansed our sin with his own blood, thereby crushing the head of Satan's authority over our lives. But let me say this. The promise of the Messiah coming to take away the sin of the world goes back even further than the garden. See, nothing takes God by surprise. God knew even before the creation of the world, mankind would need a Savior. That they would need 
redemption. We know this because we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, Peter says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So God chose his son to be the lamb, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, even before the foundation of the world. That is some advanced planning there. God has had on you, on his mind, even before the world began. Knowing that we would sin, knowing that we would turn our backs on him, he still chose to create us, knowing that he would have to send his son to die on the cross. That is love towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's certainly something worth praising the Lord about. And you might say this brings us to a chorus in Zacharias' song in verse 74 and 75. Speaking of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Verse 74 it says, To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. I like that. You know, salvation is more than just being saved from something. Yes, God has delivered us from the hand of our enemy and from sin. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal separation from God. But he also saved us with a purpose. And what is that purpose? That we might worship Him through serving Him. Now, oftentimes, when we think about worship, we think about, you know, coming to church and singing praise songs for about a half an hour in worship. But did you know that serving the Lord is also an act of worship? Because Zechariah here says that we might serve Him without fear. If you want to, keep your place here in Luke chapter 12 and turn with me over in your Bibles to John chapter 12, Luke 1. Turn to John 12. Or you can just read it on the screen if you want. In John chapter 12, we see a clear example of what true worship is all about through three different people. In John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who has been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now notice something here. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are each doing something characteristic of their own personality. Martha is serving. Lazarus is with Jesus at the table, and he's just fellowshipping with him. And and Mary anoints Jesus' feet with a pound of very expensive ointment and wipes them with her hair. Now, some commentators point out that there should be these should be looked on as a a number of importance. So, so number three, Martha served. Number two, Lazarus had fellowship. And number one, Mary worshipped. But I disagree with that because each one of these actions is a form of worship. See, it's not true to say that Mary alone worshipped. Martha worshipped through her service. Lazarus worshipped by just being with Jesus there. 
You see, because worship should be at the center of our Christian life, it can take on various forms. Martha was doing what she was most comfortable in doing. She served. I think she, like so many, found it difficult maybe to communicate, to express in, in words her, her love for the Lord. But she loved to serve. So she let her, her hot biscuits do the talking for her. So when it comes to Martha's heart for the Lord, that was her, her eloquent language. Or as the Pillsbury Doughboy boy used to say in the commercials, nothing says loving like something from the oven. Now, if your heart is not right, it can get out of focus. And it's no longer worship. Then it becomes duty. You see, let's talk about another, let's say, less successful occasion where Martha tried to put together on the spur of the moment a meal for Jesus. On that occasion, everything fell apart. She was anxious, she was troubled, she was worried, she was trying to do too much. Finally, she exploded and then blamed the whole mess on Jesus. Saying, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve all alone? Tell her to get in here and help me. Now, unfortunately, that story is more like our own stories than the first story. I think we've all felt the same way Martha has felt. How come I'm the only one doing everything around this house? How come it's only me? If it wasn't for me, nothing would get done. It's me, i got to do everything. You're not worshiping the Lord in service. That's complaining. That's self-focused. It's been said, applying to Martha, there's a gladness in her gladness when she's glad and a sadness in her sadness when she's sad, but the gladness in her gladness and the sadness in her sadness are nothing to her madness when she's mad. I think that's an apt description of Martha on the first occasion, the first occasion when she made supper for Jesus. But not the second time around in chapter 12. See, at that time, she's glad and she's filled with love for Jesus and she's just rejoicing with her sister over the return of her most loved brother Lazarus from the coldness of death by the power of her Lord. And she's expressing that Lord and she's worshiping the Lord through her service at this meal. You see, serving the Lord is a legitimate form of worship. Psalm 29, 2 tells us, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know, there's nothing, I think, that describes the, the Christian walk and what we do better than what we find in Colossians 3:23. It says there, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We're to do everything in our lives as unto the Lord. That nine-to-five job, do it as unto the Lord. Washing those dishes as unto the Lord. Mowing the lawn as unto the Lord. How about wrapping those presents? Or, you know, talking to whatever the work is, do it unto the Lord. Nothing will transform your work more than as you, when you do it as unto the Lord. And let me say this. Our second best is not an option when serving the Lord. Because when you work as unto the Lord, you're going to do everything the best quality you possibly can because it's to the Lord. And, and why do we do it? Because of all that he's done for us. Years ago, I heard about a boy, an illustration about a boy who, who had to do certain chores from his mother. And, and he thought about it for a while. I thought, you know, I should be paid for these chores that I'm doing around the house. And so one morning, he wrote a little, uh, you know, a little bill, a little uh, receipt here. And, and, and it laid out something like this. It said, washing the car, $1. Taking out the garbage, $0.50. Cents. Cutting the lawn, $1.50. Total, $3.00. And he put it on his mother's breakfast plate in the morning. And mom came in and she looked at it, but didn't say a word. But at lunchtime, when the boy came home from school, he found a note beside his plate. And this time it read, washing the clothes, zero. 
Ironing shirts, zero. Cooking food, zero. Total, zero. Love, mother. When he read that, he rushed over to his mom and hugged her. Nothing was ever said again about the bill. See, that's true service of love. That's how Martha served and worshipped. You may not be eloquent in your speech, but you can serve. And through your actions, you're actually worshiping the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Well, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 75, this is what Zacharias is saying. We are saved to serve, and as we serve, it's an act of worship. Now, within Zacharias' song of praise, there's also a prayer at the same time. See, his prayer for John is that he would serve him in verse 75 in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So listen, holy service is the only kind that is acceptable. We're told this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, sadly today, many churches, there are those serving in the church, but they are living life far from being holy. They may look holy on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday is anything but. Listen, God calls us to serve Him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. It's been said, holiness is the root and righteousness is the fruit that springs forth from the root. Both holiness and righteousness must be evident in our lives if we're going to serve the Lord really in any capacity. Holiness is a rightness of character and righteousness is a rightness in conduct. One springs right from the other. Now this brings us to our our final point in the song. We've had the inspiration, God inspired, God breathed. We've had the intro, blessing the Lord, praising the Lord for what he's done. Then the verse, before the foundation of the world, God knew mankind and would send his son to die on the cross. The chorus, because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to serve him with our whole being, doing everything holy to the Lord. And now, point number four, verses 76 to 80, the ending. And like Mary's song, Zacharias' song also has this big ending. It's been building and it's been building. And this big ending, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Zacharias' life, he prophesies of the life of his son, Really, in one long sentence here, verse 76 through 79 is, is one long sentence. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, in this big ending, Zacharias, no doubt, is holding his son in his arms. Perhaps he's, he's maybe grabbing his little tiny hand. Maybe he's, he's touching his little feet. You know, when you had the little baby, you just got to touch your hands and their feet. And maybe he, he lays his hand on his son in verse 76 and says, You child, you'll be called the prophet of the highest, for you will be, go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. I love that. Zacharias looked at this little baby he's holding in his arms and says, My child, God has got a call on your life. You'll be the most important prophet because you've been called to point people to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. You've got a calling on your life, John. And here it is. And then Zacharias lies out three ways in which God will use his son, John, through knowledge, through light, and through guidance. 
First is through knowledge. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God with which the day spring from on a high has visited us. The word day spring means dawn or morning. But here it's used as a, as a metaphor for the promised Messiah. Jesus, our day spring, would soon arrive. In fact, the New American Standard Version is translated as the sunrise from on high. So Zacharias, he's praying over his son, prophesying over his son that you, son, you will bring knowledge of salvation to his people, the day, to the day spring from on high's people. Salvation. He says it's the most important thing to know. The knowledge of God. And salvation keeps us as believers steadfast through persecution and suffering. Helps us to proclaim the gospel to the world. Yet Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, God said his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. See, the knowledge of salvation is to know Christ. John the Baptist had one purpose from God, to tell the world the Messiah is, is, is coming. The knowledge that Jesus is here. John's second purpose God would use for him is, is through light. Verse 79 says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. He's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says there, those peop- the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You know, there are two kingdoms in this world right now to this day. Two spheres of government. There's the government of God and there's the government of Satan. They are mutually, mutually exclusive and antagonistic. Every man exists in one of those two kingdoms. You live this morning in one of those two places, either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness, the shadow of death. Either you're living under the control of Satan or under the control of God. Two governing spheres of the universe. In the beginning, there is just one, the kingdom of God. All things in obedience and subjection to Him, God created angelic beings, though, and one specific uh, being was named Lucifer, an anointed cherub. He rebelled against the authority of God's kingdom and formed a second government, the government of death and darkness. Now, ultimately, we know that Satan's kingdom is going to come down. In fact, it's close to the end. Satan's close, his, his reign is very close to the end right now. And when Jesus returns, and I believe it's going to be very soon, he will establish his kingdom upon the earth Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. After that thousand years, he'll be loosed for a brief moment. Then he's going to be cast into Gehenna, into outer darkness. The kingdom of darkness cast into outer darkness. You know, if you've ever visit, visited fantastic caverns, I did when I first got here because it's really expensive. But, but anyway, <laughs> they take you down to the very deep end of the cavern itself. And then they turn off the light. So you can just experience just, just total darkness. And, and, and you really do. When they talk about it, it is light like dark. And, and, and you can't see it all. I don't think I was alone in this. I couldn't see anybody else. But the first thing I did was bring my hand to my face just to see if I could see my hand. And I'm thinking everybody else probably did the same thing. But, but you can't. You can't see anything. Total darkness. It's almost like you can feel the darkness. It's just so heavy. Listen, people today, they're living in that darkness. And unless they see the light of Jesus, they're on their way to the ultimate darkness where the book of Jude says is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You see, the kingdom of darkness will one day be the blackness of darkness forever. And sadly, there are many on their way to that darkness for eternity. 
But we know also after that, that only is one kingdom. Again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light and life. And all those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son, will live in that kingdom, subject to God and His authority. And what a beautiful, beautiful universe that will be. How I long for that day when every rebellious act and thought is put out and God reigns supreme. But until then, we, like John, are give, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. John's ministry would be to turn the lights on so men can perceive divine truth. To shine the spotlight on to Jesus. Knowing that sin has left men in darkness. Men need to be shown the light and John's ministry would do just that. And then finally, Zacharias' song ends with him looking at this young son and saying, God is going to use you through guidance. To guide our feet into the way of peace, he says. Really to guide our way to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. You see, as we close, I do believe we as Christians, as we wait for the Lord's return, we have the same three mandates. Our first mandate is knowledge, to give information, to tell people the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was born into this world to come and die for the sins of the world. And if you repent of your sin, turn from it, accept the free gift of salvation. Every sin you've ever done or will do, doesn't matter how bad, or presently you're doing, will be forgiven because of the tender mercies of God poured out for you upon the cross of Calvary. Second mandate, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I don't know if you noticed (laughs) or not, but there's a whole lot of darkness in our world today. It's everywhere, and it's getting darker. I sat in the food court this last week at the mall, and I looked at these people walking by, and man, it's dark. I mean, you can just tell they just are so lost. Now that just tells me that Jesus is coming sooner because we know it's darkest before dawn. But that it should encourage us to share our faith, knowing that we only have a short time before there will be only one kingdom, the kingdom of light ruled by our God and King and Savior Jesus Christ. So our second mandate is to provide illumination to help people see the need for Christ. And our third and final mandate that is the same as John is guidance. To guide our feet into the way of peace. To share direction, to show people the way of peace is only through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. No, we sing it this time of year, peace on earth, good wood towards man, but true peace can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Peace with God because our sin has been forgiven. And finally we read in verse 80, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. I often think about what John the Baptist was like growing up. You know, he's three, four years old. Man, he's always wearing camel hair and eating bugs in the garden. What's up with this kid? But he grew and he became the man that God called him to be. As we close, Zacharias' name means God remembers. Elizabeth's name means the oath of God. And John's name means the grace of God. In other words, God remembers his oath and sent grace. I mean, essentially, isn't that what Zacharias' praise song is all about? And like Mary's song, Zacharias celebrates the faithfulness of God in sending his salvation and keeping his promises. See, true worship involves praising the Lord because he keeps his promises. And John will be the one who will proclaim the promise of God. He will grow and he'll look at Jesus walking towards him and he would say these words, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. If that isn't something to sing about, then I don't know what is.
Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias all celebrated and worshipped God together and what God was doing in their lives through Jesus Christ, the Son. As we celebrate the birth of Christ this week, we have something to sing about. For unto us is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to shout forth praise and adoration to the King of kings, our Lord of lords. Show people the light. Share with them the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ this Christmas season. And finally, as we close, if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you've fallen from Him, maybe you're not walking with Him, you've been going down some roads that you know is not right, the right path, maybe your heart's burdened because of it. I think if you're honest with yourself, you want to get rid of that sin and you want to experience God's peace and love again, if you want to, just give your life to Him again. Rededicate your life or if you've never done it, give your life to Him. Find that forgiveness. Find that grace that He offers to you this morning. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, come up and talk to me or one of the pastors, and we'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible let you know what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word and just the encouragement, Lord, to know that, Lord, You've got a calling on our life similar to John the Baptist. Lord, that we would speak forth your truth, the knowledge that we have, Lord, that salvation comes to your Son, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. As, you, as Jesus said, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We recognize that. So, Lord, help us to point people to you, to point people the, the, to you, Jesus, the light of the world. Help us to reflect your light and our life around us, to live holy life, life of righteousness, Lord, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Lord, help us to point people to the peace that they can have. You, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Bless our coming week, I pray. And I do pray, Lord, if there's any here that do not know you, I pray that they would not leave this place without making that commitment to you. So thank you for our time today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working and moving in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.